Sometime in August, when I was preaching on the life of Moses, I went up to one of our little kids here and I said, did you like the lesson on Moses? And the little kid looked up at me straight in the eyes and said, I wish you'd preach on Samson. (laughs) So uh, I made myself a note, you need to preach on Samson. And uh, I wish I could remember the little kid's which one it was, and I would tell them this morning, I'm going to preach your lesson on Samson today. The lesson on Samson, I know for these little children, very impressive to think about how strong of a man he was and all of his feats that he performed. And yet there was a weakness in this very strong man. As we begin our study, I want to begin by talking to you about Samson being a judge in Israel. So often when we think about judges, we have in our minds this person who is a magistrate who presides over some sort of a uh, civil gathering and uh, makes a decision. However, in the Bible, there is a much different picture that is given there. In fact, it's a much broader term. It describes a person who was a deliverer. And in fact, The idea goes together, and that is is that a judge was someone who provided justice. And in the book of Judges, you find a number of men who provided justice for God's people. You see, the truth is, is that the children of Israel were being oppressed by the Philistines. They were ruling over them. They were controlling much of their lives. They were the ones who had the ability to sharpen Uh, instruments of their farming. They had to go there to have the points and the goads sharpened by them. And then you read in Judges chapter 13 verse 1 that the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. A whole generation of people had grown up knowing that the Philistines had power over them and control over their lives. So God raised up Samson to be a judge and to be a deliverer. And according to chapter 16, verse 31, he judged Israel 20 years. You're looking at 60 years out of the life of the children of Israel. You see 40 of it with their oppression and then another 20 of a man who delivered them. But I would say if I were to ask you, what do you know about Samson? You'd say he was a very strong man. Some of you would say he had long hair. Well, what I would like for us to do this morning is to explore the book of Judges, chapters 13 through 16. And if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we're going to study the majority of our lesson. And we're going to look at three basic ideas as we study this passage. We're going to begin, first of all, with his parentage, his rearing. We want to look at his father, Manoah. We want to look at how Manoah uh, viewed Samson, how he reared Samson along with his wife. Second of all, we want to look at the passions that Samson had. He had passions for many things. He struggled with many things. And so we want to look at Samson's life as he did that. Number three, we want to look at God's providence through the life of Samson. How did God use him to accomplish 
His will. And was Samson doing this because he was trying to serve God or was he doing this because he was basically a man of passion? We've got to look at that. Let's begin, first of all, with his parentage. And uh, to begin with, you have to see that Manoah and his wife wanted a child. In biblical times, you can go through and see a number of parents struggling with not having children. In fact, if you remember Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was barren. and In order to try to have a child, she even took her handmaid, Hagar, and gave her to Abraham to conceive a child that she could claim as her own. In fact, that's where Ishmael came from. If you'll remember when Jacob married Rachel and Leah, both of them being barren at the beginning, they chose to give their handmaid, their servants, to Jacob for wife because having a child was so important. I could go on and talk about Hannah and Samuel and how he was born, but the value of having a child. And if you begin with Judges chapter 13, if you look at verses 2 and 3, now there was a man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Can you imagine how good of news that would have been to Manoah's wife and the enthusiasm that they would have had. But God also added something to that. And that was that Samson was going to be a special man in the sense that he was going to be a Nazarite from his birth till his death. There's several things that go along with being a Nazarite. If you look at verse 7, he's going to say, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son... Now drink no wine or similar drink. And I will tell you, similar drink is something that would be like a, uh, an intoxicating drink made of grain versus a wine which would be made of vintage. He says, Nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. You see, a Nazarite vow was something that people would quite frequently take for a short period of time. A person would make a vow, say maybe for six months, maybe for a year. During that period of time, they would have no grape products. They would also not touch anything dead. They also would not cut their hair. In fact, if you go to the book of Numbers to chapter 6, verses 2 through 6, Moses there gives the explanation about a person and he says either a man or a woman consecrating an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite. And it goes on to say that that is a person who separates themselves for the Lord. Samson, much like Samuel, was supposed to be set aside for God from the time he was born to the time he died. But if you will notice, he goes on in verse 3, he said, he'll not drink any wine or similar drink. In fact, he goes on to say he won't even take the vinegar that is made from it. And said, in fact, not even eat grapes or raisins. And he said he shouldn't eat anything from the seed to the skin. 
And then it says, no razor shall come upon his head. And then in verse 6, that he would not go near a dead body. Now this is very important because as we look at the life of Samson, we're going to notice how Samson doesn't always remain true to the separation that God had given him. But I want to explore a little bit more about his parentage. Manoah was a good man. Manoah was thrilled that God had given him a child. And so Manoah looks to God and said, God, show me what I ought to do in rearing this child. Look with me at verse 8 and then verse 12. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for this child that will be born. We want to know how to rear this child. How do we teach him? How do we show him to be what he ought to be? And then you look down to verse 12 and he says, What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? God, what do you want us to train this young man to be? How noble is that? For a parent to say, I want my child to be what God wants them to be. But then there's the reality. What did Manoah and his wife do in rearing Samson? I'd suggest to you that they were very permissive parents. In fact, I want you to look with me as we go to chapter 14. I want to look at verses 1 through 3, verse 5, verse 10, and then compare that with what the scriptures had said to them. Verse 1 following. Now Samson went down to Timnah. And saw a woman uh, in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and his mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Now pause for just a moment. The very terminology that he uses, get her for me. I think about some of these children I see in Walmart. Mom and daddy's pushing a buggy along. And a child sees some chocolate or a toy or all those little enticing things that are near the checkout aisles. Get that for me. Get that for me. Mom and dad, no, 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 no. No, get it for me. Now, verse 3, they make some attempt to try to dissuade him. His father's mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, among all my people, that you must go to get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. You see a parent saying, No, 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 we'll get you. No, I want this. He's a spoiled child. And you can say, well, they just tried to talk him out of it. But if you keep on reading verse 5, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. He said, I want this woman. Well, what do they do? Here they are. They're going with him. Verse 10, so his father went down to the woman and Samson gave a feast there for the young men used to do so. I suggest to you that his parents 
They were the kind that said, no, 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 let's don't do this. But when really they pushed, they gave in and they were permissive parents. But you see, if you go to Exodus chapter 34, verses 12 through 16, God warns them through Moses not to make marriages with the people of the land. The Philistines were people of the land. So in reality, they were permissive parents. Now I want you to think about with me the passions of Samson. Samson was a man who felt strongly about a lot of things. He wanted things, and when he did, he expressed what he wanted. And in fact, sometimes he got things he did not need. One of the first things you will notice, he had a passion for women. The text tells us about three of them. The first one was the Philistine woman that we've already read about, the one that pleased him well, the one that he wanted from Timnah, the one he told his mother and father, go get her for me. She's not a good woman. She's a Philistine. And when the riddle was posed, and we'll talk about the riddle here in just a moment, she revealed because she pressed him and pressed him and pressed him, and finally he revealed to her the riddle, and she told her people. Her loyalty was not with him. She was a Philistine. The second one is found in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, and the text simply calls her a harlot of Gaza. That means she was a prostitute. If you read this text, it says he went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there, went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were all quiet all night saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. And then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bars and all, put them on his shoulder and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Wow. When you read about those places, you can say, well, that wasn't much. Can you imagine picking up the gates and the bars and the doorpost and toting them to Murfreesboro? That's a pretty major thing to do that. But I want you to notice, here he is, he's going into a harlot. That's not a man of, of, who's able to control his passions. But the third one is the one I know that you all know about. Her name was Delilah. The text doesn't tell us she was a Philistine, but she lived in Philistia, so I would imagine she's a Philistine. Chapter 16, verse 4, And afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And she, like his first wife, was not a woman of great character. In fact, she allured him more than once to try to reveal his strength, and he exhibited his lack of self-control by finally revealing it to her and ended up costing him his eyes, and ultimately his life. You can say, well, what's the seriousness of this? Do you remember 1 Kings chapter 11? 
It said about Solomon, Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall surely not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. So did Samson. He was a man who had a passion for women. But I'd suggest to you also had a passion of anger. He was a man who could easily be provoked to losing his temper and in doing so take the lives of people. Let me give you some illustrations. Do you remember when he went down and was going to marry this young lady? I wouldn't call her a lady, the young Philistine. And when he did, he was going and he was met by a young lion. He tore the lion apart just like a lamb would be torn apart. And when he came back, he found honey and bees in that lion. And so he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pose a riddle to these groomsmen of mine that were provided by the Philistines. And so his riddle was, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. All week long they're trying to figure out what's the answer to this, what's the answer to this. When you go to chapter 14, look at verses 8 and 9. And the, So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he had said, so he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon. You remember he's in Gaza. Goes down to Ashkelon and killed 30 men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained his riddle. Here he is. He had promised to give them 30 changes of clothes, and they had promised to give him 30 changes of clothes. Depending upon who solved the riddle. So Samson goes down and kills 30 men and gives the clothes to them. Well, that's not all. Do you remember he goes back and he's wanting to get his wife? But after he left... His wife was given to the best man. Well, that was odd. And so he returns to reclaim his wife. And when he does, the people say, the father says, I thought you didn't want her. So I gave her to your best man. What does he do? He takes 300 foxes. He ties their tails together and put torches in them. And then he turns the foxes loose and they go throughout all of their fields, all of their groves, all of their vineyards and burns them. We read in chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. He took their foxtails and we read about those and it took and burned all their grain. Now, following the execution of his wife, 
due to this burning, the Philistines responded by killing his wife. Now Samson's going to respond to that again. We read in verses 7 and 8, Samson said to them, Surely, or since you would have done a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock at Edom. I don't know how many men was killed here. It just says it was a great slaughter. That's not all. He was turned over to the Philistines by some of his own people. He said, just don't do anything bad to me. And they turned him over. They sent him bound. After they bound him and the Philistines had him, then he just breaks all those bonds off. And then let's read what the text says in chapter 15, verses 14 through 17. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey reached out with his hand took it and killed a thousand men with it you see Samson as you've seen here was not only a man with a passion toward women he was a man with a passion toward anger and it didn't take anything for him to take somebody else's life but now let's look again he likewise had a passion for food and drink. And you say, really? This is where you begin to understand his Nazarite vow and how he had no respect for it. You see, he killed the lion and later he returned to the carcass and found the swarm of bees and found the honey. But that was wrong for him to do that. It was wrong for him to take of that honey because in doing so, he touched a dead body. You remember number 6, verse 6? Not supposed to do that. And in fact, if you read verses 8 and 9 of chapter 14, he says he took, there's a swarm of bees and there was honey in the carcass of the lion. Verse 9, he took some of it in his hands, went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. They also ate. Now listen carefully. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. You know why? They'd have said, son, why did you do that? You're not supposed to touch something that's dead. If you go to chapter 14, verse 10, it says that he gave a feast. Sometimes in reading about a feast, you just think, well, they just had a good meal, maybe like a, a bachelor's party that was okay, but... The word that's used here is a special word, not just your ordinary word for feast. The Hebrew word, according to Kohlenberger Mount's Hebrew lexicon, means a feast, a banquet, a dinner with a focus on drinking. And do you remember what a Nazarite was not supposed to do? Not supposed to drink, not supposed to cut his hair, not supposed to touch a dead body. He gave a feast there. Then you get to chapter 15. And after all of his exploits, you read and it says, Then he became very thirsty and cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? The wording reminds me a lot of what Jonah said 
when this great heat began to beat upon his head, when the, the gourd had withered and died, Lord, you're letting me suffer here. It's reminiscent of the Israelites in the wilderness as they cried out to the Lord, Are you going to let us die of thirst? Are you going to let us die of thirst? He's a man of passion, a man of complaint. Now let's talk about God's providence in all of this. God used a flawed man to accomplish his deliverance. There's a very key verse, chapter 14, verse 4. It says, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Oh, do you mean that amongst all we've read and amongst all we've studied about Samson, that God had a plan in all this? Absolutely he did. God used the flawed man because that's the only kind of men there are. There are no unflawed men. If you go to Romans 9 verse 17, God used Pharaoh. He said, I raised him up for this very purpose. He used Cyrus in Isaiah 44 verse 28. He's my shepherd. He used the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. In Habakkuk 1 and verse 6, where he says, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Oh, God can raise up people of any kind to do what he wants them to do. And God uses their free choices. You see, the best passage I can think of is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 50 and verse 20. You think about the brothers of Joseph. What did they intend to do to Joseph? They intended to kill him. They intended to make his life miserable. And here's what Joseph by inspiration said, But as for you, you meant it evil against me. God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. You have one purpose in mind. God had another purpose in mind, and he used it to bring it about. Samson was a very flawed man, but God used him to be a deliverer of the Israelites from the Philistines. Now, very quickly, in the next just short time, I'd like to point out six life lessons that we ought to draw from this. First of all, parents should seek how to rear their children properly. You only have your children for such a limited amount of time and you only have that short span of life to be able to set them in the right direction. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says that fathers should bring up their children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says, Chasten your son... While there is hope, while you have an opportunity, 1 Samuel 3 verse 13 talks about Samuel and about his sons and he says because his sons made themselves vile and he didn't restrain them. He didn't try to stop it. As parents, 
We ought to be asking, God, how should I raise my child? And then be consistent with what it says. But number two, regardless of everyone's rearing, we at some point in time become responsible for our own choices. Oh yes, Manoah and his wife bore some responsibility of giving in to Samson. But you see, Samson was old enough, man enough, to make his own choices, and he's going to bear the responsibility for them. You remember in reading Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul that sins shall die, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor shall the father bear the guilt of the son. Or Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and walk in, let your heart cheer you in all the days of your earth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Number three, one should live up to a commitment and a vow. Samson was a Nazarite. As a Nazarite, he ought to have realized, I don't drink, I don't touch dead bodies, and I don't cut my hair. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And 1 Timothy 5, verse 12 talks about some of those widows who have cast off their first pledge. Number four, the way of the transgressor is hard. I look at the life of Samson, and it wasn't a pleasant life. All the choices that he made, they didn't turn out good. The choice of the Philistine woman, oh, that wasn't good. The choice of the harlot in Gaza, that wasn't good. The choice of Delilah, that was awful. You see, Samson was a man who made bad choices and suffered for it. That's the reason why Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15 says, but the way of the unfaithful or the way of the transgressor is hard. Number five, we must learn to keep our passions in check. There may be temptations. In fact, everyone will endure temptations, but not everyone gives in to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the bodies. You see, Paul's trying to say, you make sure that the life that you live reflects that you're serving the Lord. And then the Hebrew writer brings up Uh, the brothers, Jacob and Esau, and he talks about how Esau, for just one morsel of food, sold his birthright. We learn from Proverbs fourteen seventeen: a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Verse 29, who, who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Number six, and this is the important part, some learn too late. 
I think about Samson as he is there now on display before 3,000 men and women in the temple of Dagon. He's there to entertain them. He has no eyes now. They've been plucked out, plucked out. And now he is here in that temple and he, he prays. First time we see him exhibiting a real respect for God. And Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistine for my two eyes. And you know when I get to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32, and what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, also David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, oh, you see, these men were able to live by faith, but in Samson's case, it was late in life that he finally realized, I'm looking to God, and I'm serving Him. You can learn from the life of Samson that the strong can be weak and that the weak can be strong. And like Paul in writing to the young man Timothy tries to urge him to be an instrument or a tool in God's hands and you can make a commitment to the Lord yourself. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you, to urge you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To make a commitment. To be separated for the service of the Lord. If you've not yet done that, you can do that by faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and being baptized. If you are a Christian, and like Samson, you found yourself being weak and giving in to the the desires of the flesh. Thankfully, God holds out for you an opportunity to be restored. And we can pray with you. If you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing?